0: If you act like a kid, if you're sitting by a kid, send them forward and y'all come on down here, Miss Jen.
1: Oh, the acts like a kid part, we should have a full house right up here with me. Hi. Hi, come on up, guys. If you're a kid or want to be a child, you still have bills, sorry. But well, good morning. And I'm glad you guys are all here today. And um Sometimes, I'll face this way, sometimes um, we have these weird Christmas traditions that we don't really know why we do them. And I was thinking that you guys are the age where you like to learn stuff, because school's great, right? (laughs) Okay, well, you know what? We are going to learn something this morning. Do you guys know what this is called right here? You guys know? Flowers. Flowers. Help them out, adults. What is this called? Poinsettia. poinsettia, right? Say poinsettia, right? Can you spell it? No, I can't either. It's okay. So the, we see these at Christmas time. We see poinsettias at Christmas time. Now the reason we use these is because way, 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 way back in 1828, Joel—I mean, his name is Joel Roberts Poinsett—was the first. U.S. ambassador to Mexico and he was in Mexico and he saw these plants and he was like those are really cool and you know why he thought they were really cool because they kind of look like a star Do you see that how the leaves kind of look like a star or like the way I draw straw stars which are uneven and not quite symmetrical It reminded me of the star, and in the Christmas story, there was a star, remember? The star of Bethlehem, and the wise men followed that star to find Jesus. So this Christmas, I want you to look for things that help you remember how to find Jesus. So when you see a star, think about the star of Bethlehem, or you see a poinsettia, or you're listening to Christmas music, the whole point is to point back to Jesus now here in a few minutes you guys are going to help us decorate with guess what poinsettias very good very good um and so here in a little bit Jessica I believe is in the back there's a person that will be back there. Yes, she's back there in the front lobby, and she's going to help you guys um, bring bring in the in the poinsettias, and I'll be up here to help you. But as they're doing that, parents, I want to remind you of two things. First of all, um, while they're doing that, if you would just take. The- Uh, the time when you're when you're watching them to pray for them this is the next generation of Christ followers the next generation of leaders and if you'll take the time to pray for them as they're walking through and for their families but also if you want to help keep Christ the center of Christmas and not make it all about all the other stuff it's fun the other stuff is fun but we need to keep Christ the center we have um, some tools to help you do that in a very easy way and we have um, advent boxes um, in the front lobby that you can take as you leave you only need Need one per family. It has everything in it you need. All right, are you guys ready? Okay, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, these boys and girls, and thank you that we have so many reminders, like a simple thing, like a flower, like a plant that looks like a star that reminds us of the gift of Jesus. Father, Father help us to um, be obedient just like the wise men were to follow your guidance to learn more about jesus to fall more in love with you and to share you with others and it's in jesus name we pray amen all right if you'll head out that door kyle's in the back wave kyle
0: super excited. Um, I am always excited, but I am super excited today uh, for lots of different reasons. Number one, Brittany, I'm just so excited about your new adventure. I, I cannot. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and I'm excited about baptizing you next week. And we've got a couple others that we're going to be baptized in the near future uh, because God's at work and God's doing stuff. And that's just really cool to be a part of. I'm super excited because it's Christmas and it's my favorite time of the year bar none. I just love Christmas. It's, it's just, I don't know if you've heard this, but it's the time of the year where people are most open to a presentation of the gospel. And so I, I just love Christmas. I love everything about it. Uh, I love getting gifts. I love giving gifts. I really love giving gifts. That I've turned that corner a long time ago, and I just love, I, I, it just kills me in anticipation for people to open up what I've given them. And I hit a home run with Julie this year, and she doesn't know it, so it's really great. So I just thought I'd create anticipation. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> Um, but I'm also excited for a different reason, uh, just to show you how God works. Um, four years ago, um, the, my pastor in New Orleans asked me if I would go on a retreat with him. He, he wanted to kind of reinvent himself, and, and it turned into we actually ended up going to Washington, D.C., where we actually met with Karen for dinner one night. and um, we, uh, he, he really wanted to visit the Bible Museum that was there, and, so, and then or during that time, we sat... And we, we spent a lot of time together and we ended up planning uh, the next four years of, of his preaching schedule. And what I did not realize at the time is that we were also planning uh, planning the next four years of my preaching schedule as well. And one of the things that we put together with, with him was every year he was going to go through uh, the, one of the gospels. And so when we first got here, uh, that spring, the first spring we were here, we, we walked through Matthew together. And then the next spring we walked through Mark. And then last, this past spring we walked through the gospel of Luke. And we, we didn't hit all of it, but we hit major parts of it and things like that. And I am so, so excited. I don't know if it's fair to say that you have a favorite book of the Bible. You should probably think all of the book. Karen's favorite book of the Bible is whatever one we're currently talking about. So uh, Karen's, all, the, the, all, all her favorites. My favorite book of the Bible is the Gospel of John. Anytime I have the opportunity to lead someone to the Lord and they ask me where to start, I don't, I never say Genesis. Don't ever start in Genesis. Genesis is a wonderful book. It's super exciting, but eventually you're going to get to Leviticus. And not that Leviticus is a bad book. Leviticus is a wonderful book. But you're, you kind of get a little bogged down in Leviticus. And then you get to Numbers. Woo! You know. I always tell people to start in the Gospel of John. Karen will often tell people to start in the Gospel of Mark. She has the right to be wrong. Um, I'm just kidding. Since you were there when it was written, it's Okay. How quickly they turn. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I love the Gospel of John. I absolutely love the Gospel of John. Uh, and so starting today and, and concluding about this time next year, we are going to walk through about 90 to 95 percent, if not all, of the Gospel of John, whether it be from this pulpit or whether it be from in our small groups, but we are going to get to know this gospel and this Jesus so intimately by studying this book. And We want to offer a resource to you. Uh, there are these scripture journals which we have used before that help us to literally and figuratively be on the same page as we're studying. Uh, they are right over here and they are available to you. If you have it, they are $5 a piece. That just helps us recoup the cost. Uh, you can obviously buy one for somebody else if you need to. If, you, if that's a big deal to you, if you don't have the $5, please, that's not a big enough deal for you not to have one. Please just take one. I want to make sure that everybody is equipped with a Gospel of John as we begin to go through this journey. I am so excited. We will, we will be going through the entire book, but we will do it, be doing it in bite-sized series. And I was sharing this, Tony, was it you that I was talking with about this? Where we'll be doing it in series, but what I love about the Gospel of John is that every message is going to be a presentation of the Gospel. That's, how, that's just how packed... Uh, This book is this incredibly intimate book about our savior man. I am so excited and Josh is going to kick us off this morning. So Josh, let me pray for you as he is preparing uh, to guide us And John chapter one is where we're going to be this morning, but let me pray as Josh prepares to bring us the word. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, and I thank you for Karen and her love for your word. And I thank you for others in this room who absolutely love your word. I pray that that passion and love for your word would be contagious, not within our own faith family, but in the community. Father, I pray that as we begin this journey through the gospel of John, it will change lives for all eternity. Church family, would you agree with me on that? that our study would impact us so greatly that it would impact our community and we would be impacting the kingdom of God for all eternity. So, Father, as we begin this journey, as Josh opens up your word, I pray that he might decrease, that you might increase. And, Father, I pray that when we leave this place today, we are more like you than when we started because we have been in your presence, we have heard your voice, and we have been changed by your word. It is in jesus name and for his sake that we pray
2: amen 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 well good morning it is good to be with you guys i'm excited for what the lord has in store today so if you have your bible uh, open with me to john chapter one and as you're turning there today we're going to do an intro to the gospel of john and uh, this introduction of the gospel of john is going to be made up of three parts we're going to overview three simple things as we dive in to the Gospel of John. That is number one, who is John? Number two, what we will see in the Gospel of John. In other words, what does the book contain? And then number three, we'll overview the unique title that John gives to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. So as you're turning to John chapter one, I'm gonna pray one more time and then we're gonna dive in. So Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to study your word. Open our eyes to behold the wonders of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, who is John? It's a great place really to begin whenever you set out to study a new book of the Bible. A great place to begin is to simply identify the author. Who is John? Who was the person who wrote this book? And this may be a refresher for some of you, but very simply, John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he called 12 specific disciples to himself, and John was one of them. Uh, More than that, John was not only uh, part of the 12 disciples, but John was part of what many consider the inner circle. So Jesus had his 12 disciples, but in the midst of those 12 disciples, he had three uh, that he took and, and, and... told them things and revealed things to them that he didn't reveal to anyone else. And John was a part of that inner circle. You had John and then you had James, the older brother of John, and you had Peter. And these three individuals went places, saw things, heard things that no one else on earth ever saw or heard. And so with that being said, John was one of the closest people to Jesus. And some argued that John was the closest person to Jesus as he walked the earth. And John was an eyewitness, had the closest eyewitness accounts of the life and preaching and teaching and miracles and, and arrest and crucifixion and, ascend, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. John saw it all and he had a closer look than anyone else did. What's interesting is that before uh, Jesus chose and called John to be a disciple, John was actually a fisherman. Him and James and and Peter and some of the others, they they were fishermen. That's how they made their living. In fact, here's what uh, the Pharisees say about John. In Acts chapter 4, they called John an untrained, unschooled, ordinary man. And that's who John was. And I find a lot of encouragement in that, that John was a day laborer who made his living by catching and selling fish. And I love this because it highlights that John did not have any special religious training. John wasn't at the top of his class, uh, but this did not disqualify John from being a disciple for the Son of God. And I'm so grateful for this because just as 1 Corinthians 1 says, God uses the foolish things of the world to put to put to shame the things that are wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty. And like John, maybe there are times where, if we're being completely honest, you do not feel qualified or adequate enough for God to use your life. And I have some good news for you. As one preacher once said, he says, God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies those who are called. And that is such an encouragement for you and I because God has a, a plan for your life. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you've never heard that. God has a plan and purpose for your life, and he desires to use your life. And all that we need to bring to the table is one thing and one thing simply, and that is an open heart. Are you willing? Are you available? Are you surrendered? Is your life yielded to the will of Christ? And if you are willing, if you are surrendered and yielded to the will of Christ, God will begin to use your life in mighty ways. We see that in John. God didn't use John because he was great or mighty or smart. But God used John in powerful ways because the power of God was greatly upon his life, because he was open. And when God called John, come follow me, does the gospel of Luke say? they forsook all and followed him. They turned, they, they jumped out, they, they said no more going back to the family business. They knew that their lives had changed. And what we see as a result of that, we see someone who not only wrote the gospel of John, but wrote 1st and 2nd and 3rd John and Revelation. In the earlier service, I kept saying that John wrote four books of the Bible, and I can't do simple math. John wrote five books of the Bible. (laughs) So if you're in the earlier service, you'll get that. He wrote four additional books to the gospel of John. Five books though, five books of the Bible written by a fisherman. And that was simply because he allowed the Lord to use his life. Number two, what we will see in the Gospel of John. What does this book contain? First off, it's important to note that the Gospel of John is very unique. And what I mean by that, it's, it's unique because it's distinct from the other Gospels. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And many consider Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they refer to them as the synoptic Gospels. That is because they record the same or very similar events. So obviously from the different eyewitness perspectives, but they record and, and, and talk about very similar events to each other. The Gospel of John, on the other hand, uh, much of what John records is actually not found in the other Gospels. It's quite interesting when you begin to dive in and you see. Uh, the Gospel of John, for example, there are no parables in the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke are, are, are filled with parables, but we don't see one in the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel of John, John records in full detail the night of Jesus' is. Uh, arrest and, and, and crucifixion. At John chapter 13 through John 17, many consider it the, the upper room where Jesus is alone with his 12 disciples. And we get a packed full chapters 13 through 17 of Jesus pouring out his heart to the disciples before he's crucified and before he's resurrected again. Um, incredible, powerful truths. I would encourage you to read John 13 through 17 in one sitting and just understand that is happening in one night, in one moment. Across one meal that they are sharing also what we see in the gospel of john is the i am statements something unique to the gospel of john there are seven of these i am statements that jesus makes uh, that reveal different uh, parts of his character and nature such as when jesus says i'm the bread of life Or I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or I am the resurrection. Or I am the door. I am the good shepherd. All these different I am statements that have a purpose of revealing the goodness of God's character to us. There are also five miracles. There are are more miracles in the Gospel of John than five. But there are five miracles that are unique, only recorded in the Gospel of John. And I won't spoil those ones for you. The Gospel of John also is unique because it portrays Jesus as God stronger than any other Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, Luke absolutely proclaim Jesus as God, but the way John writes, John displays Jesus as deity. Jesus is God more so than the others. Matthew portrays Jesus as king, the king of the Jews. Mark portrays Jesus as the servant, the suffering servant. Luke portrays Jesus as the son of man. And then John portrays Jesus as God, the son of God, God the son. For example, look at John chapter 1 with me. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read them and then we'll talk about them a little bit. Uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created, and in him was life, and that life was the light of man. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. What do the first five verses of John tell us? They tell us very simply, Jesus is God. He in the beginning he was there, co-equal with God the Father, co-equal with God the Son, eternal, always there. He was not created, but rather by his hands, he created all things. And not one thing was, that was created was not created by him. Jesus created all things. And with that in mind, we see God, Jesus being God. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. Jump down a little bit. John one verse fourteen says the Word, the same word that was there in the beginning, the same word that's the light of all men, the same Word who created all things, the same Word that is God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, the word God became flesh and dwelt among us. Guys, picture this for a moment the significance and power of what verse 14 means that the eternal, co equal God became flesh, all powerful, all knowing, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator and sustainer of all things became flesh, became man, the second person of the Trinity, and he dwelt among us this is what uh, the angel told mary when she found out she was about to give birth the angel told mary you shall call him emmanuel god with us and jesus the word that became flesh the god king he was sent to die he was sent to die and he stepped into the brokenness of humanity And as God the Savior, he restored and redeemed humanity back into right relationship with God through his death and resurrection. And not only that, but then he sent the Holy Spirit to seal us to empower us, to sanctify us greater into the image of Christ. And something we need to take note of is that same Christ that John writes about. In the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh. That same Christ that John writes about is the same Christ that you and I have today. We need to be reminded of this, that just as God was actively working Stepping into the brokenness of humanity 2,000 years ago, God is doing that today. That God is still stepping into the brokenness of my life. He's still stepping into the brokenness of your life. And as Jesus says in Revelation 21, he makes all things new. And I'll be the first to admit to you this morning that I am very much broken. Just because I'm up here, uh, don't be fooled. And God has been teaching me this very valuable lesson in my walk with him. It's a lesson that I still need to learn and that I'm still learning. And that is the simple lesson to rest in the promise of his presence in my life. The word became flesh, He dwelt among us, and he's still stepping into the brokenness of my life. He's still active and at work. Lord, teach me to rest in the promise of your presence. Lord, teach me to rest in the truth that my life is in your hands. And maybe today you find yourself walking through brokenness of some sort. Maybe it's a broken marriage. Maybe it's broken family. Kids are rebelling. Maybe it's broken finances, broken career, broken health, or maybe especially around the holiday season, maybe it is a broken heart. And I I can't tell you that I have all the answers because I do not. But what I can tell you and what I can assure you with is the words of God himself. Isaiah 43 verses one and two say this. This is God speaking. He says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. What an amazing promise that when we walk through the fires, when we walk through the deep waters, we can rest and we can know that he is with us. And I know this promise was given to Israel, but I cannot help but believe that this promise reigns true for the church today. So church, take courage. Don't lose heart because God is with you and he sees your brokenness. He sees the pain. He, the Bible says that he is close to the brokenhearted and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never fail you. I will uphold you. I will preserve you. I am your light and your salvation. Do not fear and do not be afraid for he who began a good work in you will complete it. We can be sure of that, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. And the peace that in our lives, as one pastor says, is not from the absence of trials, but peace is found in the presence of God, even in the midst of trials. And God is at work. And he is working out all things in your life for the good of those who love him and for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. And this is the hope that we have, that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He was tested and tried in every single way, yet he did not fail. He came out victorious, and through him we have the victory. And the author of Hebrews goes on to say in chapter four that we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. Now we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, receiving help and mercy in our time of need. Do you know today that you have a high priest who says, come to me, come to My throne, and I'll give you help. I'll give you rest. I don't think I've ever heard a promise as good as that one. Something interesting about the Gospel of John is that the word believe, or or a form of the word believe, is used 98 times throughout the Gospel of John. That's a lot of times. 98 times, the word believe or a form of the word believe is used. I would encourage you, take your Bible, turn to John chapter 20. Turn a handful of pages, John chapter 20. Once you get there, John chapter 20, look at verses 30 and 31. John 20, verses 30 and 31, it says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe, I would encourage you underline that, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This section of scripture is so Unique because John gives the purpose of why he's writing. I write these things to you so that you may believe. I wrote down to you the upper room that no one else writes down so that you may believe. I wrote down the I am statements, the uh, unique miracles. I wrote these things down so that you may believe in what? That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the son of God and that by believing in him you may have life, eternal life in his name. And John gives this purpose and I'm so thankful for it because if we're being completely honest for a moment, we have to be reminded that we have a very real enemy and your belief, your faith will always be the target of Satan. He is seeking to quench your faith, to destroy your belief. And John says, I have wrote these things so that you may believe. We have the sword of the spirit, the armor of God to strengthen our faith as we keep pressing on to follow Jesus. When things get tough, when the enemy's at work, walking through the thick of spiritual warfare, we can turn to the word and say, I can believe Jesus is who he claimed to be. It's an incredible promise. That as long as Christ reigns on the throne, we have hope. That our brokenness isn't final. That our sin is not final. That death is not final. The suffering of this world is not final. But rather, as Paul says in Romans 8, that the suffering of this world is nothing to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed. Last thing we'll cover. The third point of this introduction to the gospel of John is the unique title that John gives to himself the one whom Jesus loved it's an interesting title because in the gospel of John John actually never says his name John never identifies himself as the author but every time John speaks of himself he uses this title the one who Jesus loved. And five times John gives himself this title. I would encourage you to jot these scriptures down or take a picture. You can go read them uh, for yourself to see. John 13, 23. John 19, 26. John 20, verse two. John 21, verse seven. And John 21, verse 20. John refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. What an interesting title to call yourself. And at first glance, I know when I was reading this, it seemed as a prideful title. Like, what is John saying here? Is John saying that Jesus loves him more than the other disciples? Is John saying that Jesus loves him and and his love doesn't extend to anyone else? Is John trying to boost his, what is John doing here? Why is he saying this? And the good news is, it is not a prideful title at all. But here's what's happening, and here's what John is doing. John took the name which he knew most accurately described him. John took the name which he knew most accurately described him. He hides his life behind the love of Christ. And there's no pride in it. But this statement, the one whom Jesus loved, it shows the simplicity of his spirit. It shows the openness and honesty and transparency of his character. It shows his complete self forgetfulness, as that as he looked on Jesus' love, as he looked on the love of Christ as the source and root of everything about himself, he understood this title most accurately describes me. I am the one whom Jesus loves. One preacher puts it this way, and here's what John is saying. John says, the most important part about my identity is not my name. Rather, it is that I am loved by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The most important part about me, it's not that I wrote five books of the Bible. It's not that I was in the inner circle of Jesus. It's not that I saw things that no one else, no, the most important part about me is that I am one who stands loved by Christ. Paul kind of communicates this same train of thought in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The most important part about me is that I'm loved by Christ. Church, I would ask you, what's the most important part about you today? If you had to answer that question openly and honestly, what are you finding your, your joy in? What are you finding your purpose in? What are you finding your identity in today? Because I would encourage you that you will never find your true sense of purpose and identity apart from the love of Christ in your life. And this is what John wants to highlight. John wants to highlight the love of Christ and how it transformed his life. Being the one whom Jesus loves is not the first nickname John had. If you're familiar with the person of John, John and his brother James once had a nickname given by Jesus called the Sons of Thunder. The Sons of Thunder. And many believe it comes from what happened in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus was rejected by a Samaritan village. And because Jesus was rejected by the Samaritan village, John and James, they go up to Jesus and they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? (laughs) It's kind of funny because they've been following Jesus for a bit at this point. But in other words, what they're saying, they're saying, God, do you want us to just destroy them for rejecting you? Hence the name, Sons of Thunder. But what I'm encouraged by is that John, even though he was used mightily by the Lord, John had... Areas of weakness in his life. John had hardness of heart, anger, failures. John had weakness. But anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we all have these areas of weaknesses in our life. For John, it was anger. We see this hardness of heart towards people. What is it for you today? Only you know. It's between you and the Lord. But notice that it wasn't self help tips and psychological advice that helped John overcome these weaknesses. What was it? It was the reality of the love of Jesus Christ in his life. When the power of God's love collided with John's life, everything changed. Everything changed in John's life. That's why Paul tells Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It is the grace and love of Christ when paired with our weakness that brings transformation. And I am so encouraged that all I have to offer God is sin and weakness. That is my best offer to God. But what does God offer us in return? He offers us a power that is made perfect in weakness. He offers us a grace that is sufficient to transform our lives despite the weaknesses that we have. And when the power of God's love collides with your life and my life, everything changes. And you know, we don't know for certain when this transformation took place in John's life. Maybe it was when John was standing in front of the cross, and he sees the one he's been following for three years being crucified and tortured. And Jesus is speaking to John even while he's on the cross. Maybe it was when, when John heard Jesus cry out, Father, forgive them. Forgive the ones crucifying me for they do not know what they are doing. Maybe it was when John saw Thomas put his fingers through the holes of Jesus' hands and Jesus extended this great compassion to the doubts of the disciples. Maybe it was when John saw Peter being restored by Jesus. After Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus comes and says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Maybe this transformation took place during the 40-day period when Jesus uh, spent time, 40 days with his disciples before the ascension. Who knows when this transformation took place, but it was a journey. And it's a journey for you and I as well. That the transformation that God desires to do in our life is, is a journey. It takes time. Be gracious with yourself. Trust in the sufficiency of his grace. But what we do know with John is that along the way, following Jesus and seeing these incredible things, that the love of God so penetrated his heart that he went from son of thunder to the one whom Jesus loves. I wanna invite the worship team to come back up as we close out. And I want to leave you with this thought. John, no longer a son of thunder, but now John's identity is one who Jesus loves. And church, when we read that title, as we take this journey through the gospel of John and we read that title, the one who Jesus loved, John reminds us as readers, 2,000 years later, John reminds us readers of the enormous, inexhaustible love that we too can experience. That we all have now in Christ, this identity as being disciples, being the ones whom Jesus loves. And maybe today, this is what some of you need to be reminded of most. And I don't know what everyone's walking through in their lives. I don't know the different things that you're facing. But I know there is a truth that reigns above all. And that is this, that the Almighty God has loved you with a perfect love before you were even born. That Almighty God has loved you with a perfect love before you took your first breath. Almighty God has loved you with a perfect love before you committed your first sin. He knew all the sins you would commit. He knew that all of us would fall short of his glory. He knew that all of us would be like sheep going astray. He knew it all, but you know what? His love remains constant. His love remains the same. Stop trying to earn it or perform for the love of God because his love for you never has and never will change. It's, it's quite a crazy thing to think that God never changes, but he doesn't. His love stays the same and how is this so? because of Christ. Look to the cross and see that at Calvary on that mountain the Son of God took your place. He took the weight of your sin and shame upon His shoulders. He paid your debt in full. For God so loved the world He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Look to Christ. I'll leave you with one final quote. Charles Spurgeon comments this. He says, my faith rests not in what I am, but in what Christ is, and what he has done for me, and in what he is now doing for me. Church, as you walk out here today, know that you walk out as one who is loved by Christ. And if there is anything hindering your walk with the Lord, anything getting in the way, lay it down at his feet and know that you will be met with grace and mercy. No sin too big, no person too far gone. You are met with grace and mercy at the foot of the cross. Rest knowing that you are the one whom Jesus loves. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love, as Ephesians says, that is so vast, so wide, so deep, so high. Paul says that there's nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate separate us from the love of Christ. Lord, may we rest in the promise of your love that it will never change, and it it never has, and it never will. And may we all find our identity our position in you, may we find it as one who is loved by Christ. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.